The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. Our political correspondent, Sean Defoe, is at the Belfast Count Centre for day two. And it is a, a fairly lengthy count, Sean, because it's not just proportional representation, it's proportional representation by fraction. Do you, do you want to take the challenge of explaining this? <laughs> not particularly, but I'll give it a go. It's uh, yeah, it's one of those things you have to kind of get used to with Northern Irish uh, elections that are slightly different to our own. And there'll be a lot of people wondering, why isn't this all done yet? We're spoiled for information in the South when we do get it. We get an exit poll. We get the parties working together on tallies so we have a pretty good idea before we, even a ballot box uh, is properly opened and counted. But we don't have any of that here. And when they are breaking up, they're breaking it up by fractions, which essentially means uh, you get really, really weird uh, vote numbers in the end and they, they get kind of divided through the process. I won't go through the entire process on it, but it, it means really, really weird numbers. If you look at Strangford, for example, one of the interesting constituencies this morning, because you've got the former UUP leader Mike Nesbitt in a real battle and alliance eliminations that could elect him, uh, which is going to be really interesting to see where, where their vote is coming from. But he, at the moment, uh, has 6,000 uh, 471.29 votes uh, compared to his nearest challenger in the TUV who has 5,866.41 votes. You've got all these mad numbers uh, uh, factoring into it and then not the, the sort of clear distribution of votes that we're used to where one vote goes on to the next candidate. So it, it's making it really tricky, but they're just generally slower in counting this year as well. Talking to some people who were here in 2017, they thought a lot more would be done by now, whereas we're only a little over half of the seat filled uh, as boxes open right about now. And despite the complexity of the system, the, the early analysis would seem to show that the ones who have done best at navigating it is Sinn Féin. Very aggressive, very successful vote management. Uh, the vote management is like uh, nothing I've ever seen. Really, really intelligent stuff. And looking at some of the constituencies, let's take a look at uh, Michelle O'Neill's constituency in mid-Ulster. She got over fairly comfortably on the first count with a little, uh, about 2,000 votes over the surplus. Uh, but her two running mates came in within 16 votes of each other in third and fourth in Emma Sheeran and, and Linda Dillon and were both elected fairly handily then on the second count. If you look at some of the others, there was one uh, in North Belfast where Sinn Féin had two seats and there was sort of a question mark going into this about whether they could even hold the two seats. Uh, they not only ho- held the two for Jerry Kelly and Karen Lee uh, Quillen, but got them both over on the first count. So that's showing the real kind of rise in certain strong areas that they have. And then Belfast West is possibly the, the most effective vote management I've ever seen in my life. All four uh, of the, the top place candidates were from Sinn Féin and they held four or five seats there in 2017. Really iffy if they were going to be able to do it again. Holding four out of five seats in any constituency is incredibly difficult and they're going to do it again because they all came in with 9,000, 7,000, 6,700 and 6,400, one after the other at the top. There was a tweet doing the rounds in Sinn Féin WhatsApp groups yesterday evening, actually, I wish I could manage my life as well as Sinn Féin managed votes in <laughs> Belfast West. Uh, and to be honest, I don't disagree. Which is interesting given the criticism that was uh, laid at Sinn Féin's door in the last general election south of the border, where there was a suggestion that if they had managed votes better, in the sense of managing better, to have the candidates there and available to collect the votes that were there for them, they could have greatly maximised the amount of seats they were winning. Definitely. They, well, they completely underestimated their own popularity. All of us underestimated the popularity of Sinn Féin in the last election, and they direly wished that they had run candidates. There was only one constituency uh, where they didn't. And speaking to people in Sinn Féin, they said at the time they thought ah, the candidate was a nobody, they didn't have a hope, so they didn't even run them. Whereas if they had, there was probably a very good chance they could have taken the seat. But this bodes well for Sinn Féin in the next election in constituencies, say like Tony Gall, where Joe McHugh is obviously stepping down from Fine Gael, where they have targeted three seats before and it's backfired on them, where they probably need to get three seats if they're going to have a realistic chance of government and looking at the vote management they've done here they certainly seem to have learned lessons from the past that they will probably bring into the next elections that we have in the Republic.
I want to repeat the caveat that you put in that obviously there is a lot yet to be learned as the votes begin to shake through in, in the, the PR. But can we just look at the, the um, first preference share of vote? And can you explain a couple of things to me, Sean? Because a lot of the analysis is saying that this is a hugely momentous election, that this is greatly significant, that this shows a big shift. But when you look at the percentage change of what we have so far, we have Sinn Féin up 1.1% from 2017 Mm. and we've the DUP down 6.7%. Does that not read as a a story of DUP collapse rather than Sinn Féin success or am I missing something? No, I think so. And I think a lot of the analysis is focused on Sinn Féin just because of the historic position they're now in. Like the Sinn Féin's election in 2017 was really, really good. And talking to people here uh, yesterday, they were sort of hopeful if they could hold their seats or if they only lost one or two, it would be a good day. So to actually keep that result and to actually improve on it, maybe within a chance of picking up a seat or two today, is a really good result for Sinn Féin. But I think the, the DUP is the story, down 6.7%. And they're saying here today, that, that and yesterday, the likes of Jeffrey Donaldson, Edwin Poots, uh, saying that, look, the shit, they, they think the DUP vote held up. Look, I don't care what party you are. A loss of seven points is not holding up in my uh, book. And you can see where that's going. It's really interesting that it's gone to the sort of harder right in the traditional unionist voice. They're up uh, five points. They were only 2% of the polls in one seat last time. Now they're looking at, like to have it at least two seats in Storm. And so they are sort of, for people who maybe don't follow Northern Ireland politics, consider them maybe the UKIP to the Conservatives that we had in the UK over the last few years. The, the harder right, very against uh, the Northern Ireland border, don't agree in the power sharing arrangement. And Jim Allister very clearly doesn't think that the Stormont executive works as it is. So that could lead then within the DUP to more of a shift to the right as they try and chase those votes. But then also the very centre. It seems that the fringes in the centre have done very well. And the parties who are sort of in the middle of that, the likes of the UUP and the SDLP that are maybe more moderate unionists or moderate nationalists, they're both down as well. So sort of a hardening opinion for Sinn Féin and for the TUV and then in the very middle for the alliance. But those who are kind of falling between two stools, and I think voters thought that the DUP were falling a little bit between two stools, as well as also, of course, wanting to give them a kick for uh, collapsing the executive in the first place and leaving Northern Ireland without a government for so long. There's an interesting uh, piece in that that I'd like you to expand on if you, sh- if you can, Sean, because it's, it's complicated. But as I understand it, the way the numbers are shaking out is that the vote for effectively unionism, where your prime vote would be a, a sectarian one, or for nationalism, where your prime vote is a sectarian one, that's down. There are more people who are voting for parties where the prime issue is not what tribe you come from. But if you are of a tribe, you're likely to be voting more hardline. So within unionism, there's a greater um, increase in TUV votes. Within nationalism, the SDLP is hemorrhaging votes in favour of a slightly harder side of it. Is that an accurate analysis in the numbers so far? Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate as we see it so far. Yeah, definitely. So there is that that sort of middle ground vote that isn't completely middle. I'm sort of struggling to find a, a way to describe it because the middle has held up in the alliance party and then anything between there and the hardline is sort of losing votes. And, and particularly for the SDLP, if you look at a constituency like South Down, it's a total flip between them and Sinn Féin. If you go back to 1998, the SDLP took 45% of the vote there to Sinn Féin's 15%. And that completely flipped in yesterday's election where Sinn Féin took 44% of the vote to the SDLP's 165 So uh, Colin Eastwood kind of saying he feels that maybe nationalists lent their vote to Sinn Féin this time around in order to get the first minister and give that kick to the DUP. But I think there are wider problems in the SDLP there for relevance. And the same with the UUP. I mean, how are they going to stay relevant at the minute as well with their vote sort of slipping away? And Doug Beattie, indeed, one of the very big profile figures today who is at risk of losing their seat. So, yeah, the sort of hardening opinion. 
overall, I don't think there's been a massive shift in the camp that are unionist and the camp that are Republican. It's, it's quite small. It's still about 40 and 40. But that middle ground is, is kind of hardening at about 20% who put themselves really in neither camp. And that's that's going to be really, really interesting to watch. The, the big winners, I think, were the Alliance Party. They're going to come back with a, probably at least four extra seats, if not more. And Naomi Long uh, here comfortably getting re-elected on the first count. But when you get into constitutional questions over the border and over whether there's a border poll and whether there's a majority in favour, if there's now a large rump that is consistently saying we're in neither camp or we're neither for or against it, I think that makes it a really complicated question to then bring about. Well, to that issue of the border poll, it hadn't been a significant thing during the election campaign. It's now come slightly to the forefront thanks to an interview that Mary Lou MacDonald, the Sinn Féin president, gave to CNN overnight. Is it your hope that within the next decade you will see a border poll? Yes, I believe um, within this decade we will witness uh, constitutional change on the island of Ireland and it is my absolute determination that that change will be entirely peaceful, entirely democratic and orderly. So we have been saying to the government in Dublin and indeed in London that the preparation for constitutional change in Ireland needs to begin now. I mean, there will be no prize for anybody irrespective of their political stripe uh, for burying their head in the sand. We need to be alive to the fact that change is underway. And we need to also be cognizant of the immense, I mean, immense economic and social and cultural opportunities that will be afforded to us, to the island of Ireland, to us as an island nation in the coming years. And I really want us to grasp those opportunities and for everybody who calls this island home, to benefit from that change. Sinn Féin President there, Mary Lou Macdonald, speaking on CNN overnight. Sean, it is hardly surprising to hear a Sinn Féin President eager to see a united Ireland. But I I suspect what people may be surprised by is the timing of it, that right on the cusp of the election results coming in, that this is what she is saying, albeit in answer to a question, but also the degree of specificity within the next 10 years, and they need to start planning now. Yeah, and, and even she went further in a couple of other interviews uh, that I've seen with some of the UK stations where she said a lot of that preparation work can be done within the next five years. Um, so I, I, we shouldn't, again, be too surprised at this. Mary Lou McDonald's talked a lot in the Dáil about a decade of opportunity. This is a decade of centenary, but also for Sinn Féin, they think a decade of opportunity to uh, now be the biggest part, uh, party in, st- in Stormont, potentially to have uh, be in government in the South as well, for Mary Lou McDonald to be Taoiseach and Michelle O'Neill to be First Minister, and then to really push hard on a border poll. And they were fairly delighted with how the campaign went because they didn't have to talk about it. No Sinn Féin candidate from pretty early on in the campaign was talking about a border poll. They were going after the bread and butter issues, cost of living, uh, healthcare up here as it is in the South, a really, really big issue. And uh, the DUP were really the only ones who were talking about it, trying to sort of scare voters into saying, if you vote Sinn Féin, this is what you're going to get. And it looks as though to a certain degree they were right because straight away Mary Lou MacDonald is talking about this uh, being a real possibility. I think five and maybe even ten years is probably uh, overly optimistic. I think if anything, the result, as I was just saying a minute ago, for the alliance and for that middle ground makes it a lot harder to call a border poll. And of course, even if we get an executive and Michelle O'Neill is first minister, she doesn't have any increased powers to actually call one. That lies with the Secretary of State, it lies with the British government, and the, the threshold is to see that there's a clear majority in favour of having a poll from one community or, or another. So that's still a very high bar to achieve, and I think with the divisions we have, we're probably a long way away. But if Michelle O'Neill is the first minister, and, and as Sinn Féin picks up more steam in the South, their voices are going to grow louder because all they can do is bring more pressure, and they're certainly uh, apt to do that. 
You mentioned the DUP failing to land a blow with that in part. That is being seen as the the DUP and unionism in general as being unable to provide a a coherent front in this election. That's definitely the view that was expressed by the DUP leader, Geoffrey Donaldson. I think one of the key messages for me coming out of this election is that unionism simply can't afford the divisions that exist. Uh, There are seats that may be lost in this assembly election because of unionist divisions, despite the fact that the common ground we share, whether it is in our passionate belief in the union as the best way forward for everyone in Northern Ireland, or our opposition to the Irish Sea border and the protocol, uh, I have called consistently in this election for greater unionist cooperation. And I think that is what unionist voters right across Northern Ireland want to see. And I think one of the lessons Uh, emerging from this election will be the harm that divisions within unionism does to our ability to win elections. That's the DUP leader, Geoffrey Donaldson, there. And the former DUP leader, uh, uh, Tina Gates, gave us a clip on the news of uh, him, this being Edwin Poots speaking, Sean. And he was asked the question about whether or not the DUP would nominate a deputy first minister because... The fact that the role carries the same significance as First Minister doesn't get past the fact that it is deputy on the business card. Mm. He didn't say yes, but he did remind everybody that the DUP is a democratic party. I assume that means that there's going to be a DUP deputy First Minister. Well, uh, certainly there'll be a discussion. That's from an interview I did with Edwin Poots yesterday here at the Count Centre. And he was sort of hedging his bet, saying that, look, we are the democratic unionist party. Uh, We are Democrats and we have to respect the will. But there's a discussion that's going to have to be had. And I think that's very much going to depend on where the final uh, DUP seats actually land. It looks as though it's not going to be too much of a a difference. But there was a sort of a theory going around here at the Count Centre yesterday that there are a couple of independent unionist candidates who either have been elected or look as though they're going to be elected. So... You wonder, could the DUP perhaps win them back into the fold in order to, to boost their numbers? Also, uh, sort of questions about whether some of the TUV candidates who were elected could perhaps be persuaded to band together in order to, to block a Sinn Féin first minister. So I don't think it's totally done as an issue yet, um, but it is something that they are going to have to grapple with. I, I just can't really see Geoffrey Donaldson wanting to be the first ever DUP leader, uh, to be the deputy first minister and to, to have that sort of weight of history hanging over him. So what I think you'll get instead is them perhaps refusing to nominate a first minister but using the Northern Ireland Protocol issue as the excuse for that saying we're not going back into the executive we're not going back into Stormont because this issue hasn't been fixed and this is the number one and that's something else that Edwin Poots referred to in that interview I did with him several times that if you're talking about cost of living uh, the protocol is a big part of that because businesses are spending more trying to get their goods in and that's being passed on to the consumer and I did just put to him look how long is this government going to take to form the assembly can sit for six months without an executive uh, and no one really has an answer for that he said how long is a piece of string and that sort of classic p- political dismissal answer that they sometimes give so there's there's a lot still to play out in this and even though Sinn Féin have won in an inverted commas this election the prospect of Michelle O'Neill actually being first minister and there being an executive uh, when all the votes are counted that's that's very uncertain Sean thank you very much for that that is Sean Defoe reporting for us there from Belfast and Sean of course will be reporting for the station throughout the weekend from the Belfast Count Centre and if you want to follow him at Sean Defoe on Twitter there's regular social media updates there as well so we return to the Northern Ireland elections where counting continues but the first preferences are giving a very clear sense of what has happened north of the border. And what has happened is the DUP has had a nightmare, minus about 6.7% in first preference votes so far. Uh, Good day for Sinn Féin, up 1.1%. But again, that's up on what had been a very good election back in 2017. 
and an unmitigated disaster is probably the way to look at it for the SDLP. With us is Bertie Hearn, the former Taoiseach. Bertie, to start there, is this the end of it for the SDLP? Well, I think the what happened is SDLP and the UUP uh, got squeezed once again. If you take their combined vote, it was 25%, it's down 5%. Uh, SDLP now under 10, 9%. Um, the, the final councils show what happens to their deputy leader, Nicola Mallon, who is a very fine politician and a, a really good minister of infrastructure in the north. So uh, I, I must say, I, I, I hate to see her if, if she does lose her seat because I think she's been a really good performer. But yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a, a lot of trouble for SDLP. They, they were hoping to hold the grounds in, in, in Derry, but um, that didn't happen. Um, after reorganising themselves in Derry, Sinn Féin did well again. So, I mean, listen, Anthony, you said that there was a, a great day for Sinn Féin. Uh, they marginally upped their vote from what was a very good vote in March 2017 at 28%, you know, 28 seats probably. They could have got another one that they just didn't have an extra candidate. So 29% of the of the vote, now 66,000 votes higher than the DUP. Uh, they were 1,500 behind them after the last election. So they're in pole position. They, they've, you know, I think nobody predicted that they'd hold all their seats and not not to mind that go up. So, you know, it's a, it's a big day for them. There's no doubt about that. And something that you would know an awful lot about, very successful vote management. Yeah, really, really well. I think only in one constituency where I think they got I think it was one of the downs where they got a, where they could have got another seat with an extra candidate, but that's always a risk. But in most places, um, very good vote management. They stood one where they needed one and headed the poll. Uh, they stood three where they needed that. So right across the board, I think their their organisation w- w- was superb, and nobody I think can take that away from them. It, it was an excellent election for them. We've been playing the clips on the news of Mary Lou Macdonald speaking on CNN and a number of other outlets talking about the possibility of a border poll within the next decade and saying that she has been telling uh, the government south of the border to get things in order for that constitutional change. Do you think that is, first of all, do you think she's right in that prediction? And what effect do you think it'll have on uh, politics and on the environment in Northern Ireland, the fact that Sinn Féin is so eagerly speaking that way? Well, I think there are two things about this, Anton. In the election in the North, um, there was very little talk by nationalist parties about a border poll uh, or about unity. Uh, The election was very much about what we know as the economic bread and butter issues of the day. And, um, of course, the international media, you know, perplexed with the the idea of of unification. But on the ground, it was not the the, the issue. They weren't talking about the protocol and they weren't talking uh, about a border poll either. Uh, of course, it, it's continually on the agenda. It's on the agenda since 1998. The provisions for having uh, a border poll is there. Uh, Sinn Féin in recent years have moved their position to a position which I've been articulating for a long time, that you don't have that poll until the work is done. I agree with them that the preparatory work, some of it is underway academically at the moment, but until you work out wh- what is unity mean, um, what kind of a new Ireland is it? Uh, how, how would you bring it all together? It's no point in having an, an election until you do that. Uh, the, the Scottish referendum proved that, and not to mind Brexit, but I think it's more correct to look at the Scottish referendum where they hadn't worked out uh, the cost issue and how you were going to fund 
um, an independent government. So, and, and sorry, Bertie, is, is it entirely is, is it economic work, or is uh, that work consists of what? What is it that needs to be in place? Um, I, I, I think it's the economic work. Obviously, how how it would be paid for it, how it would be cost, and how long would the British continue to to pay? But also how you would bring together some practical issues, how you bring the Garda Shikana and the PSNI together, how you, how you bring our courts together, how you bring our public administrations together, how our semi-states would interact. You know, they, they, these are all fundamental issues, uh, all, by the way, doable in my view. Um, and then what type of renewal would you still have an executive in Northern Ireland? Would it still be a regional executive? Like none of these issues, even though we've been talking about independence since 1921, um, and particularly since the Boundary Commission mishap in 1925, we, we haven't actually done the practical work. And Sinn Féin's position, I think, has come around to where I've been saying for at least 10 years that, you know, until you do this work, I mean, otherwise you'd be having a, a poll. Imagine if you were going out tomorrow and to vote, and the question was, you want Irish unity or not? Uh, and then you ask the question, how is this going to be funded? How is the administration going to work? You know, where are the practical details? Where are the position papers? I mean, the fact is none of this has been thought through. Uh, and even though we've, we've been yapping about it for years, it hasn't been done. So, I mean, until that work is done, the idea of having a border poll. Now, I mean, whether that takes two years, five years, I, I'm not going to say when it is, but it, it, it has to be done. Otherwise, you're asking people to... Uh, to, to vote in an entire vacuum. And you know what has happened when you do that? They just vote no, because that's what people will, will, will if they don't see the facts, um, they, 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 won't, they won't vote. And can I ask, one of the groups, obviously, who would be most terrified about the prospect of that uh, border poll happening would be hardline unionists. And one of the things that we've seen, at least in the first preference share of the vote in this election, is that the hardline side of unionism seems to have increased its its reach and power within the unionist community. Jim Alistair's traditional unionist voice doing particularly well in this uh, election, up, I think, 5.1% on, on 2017, eating a lot of the DUP's lunch. How significant is that in terms of the unionist attitude? And how worrying is that? Because does that suggest there will be a rump of people who feel disenfranchised and feel like they are having that which is so dear to them taken away? Well, I think, Anton, the the answer to that is whenever there is a border poll, whether it's in my lifetime or your lifetime or whether it's five years or 20 years, um, there will be a significant amount of unionist people that will not, it will be totally opposed to that, will not engage in that debate. And their their view is, and I've talked to many of them and good friends with many of them, their view is for them to even engage in that vote is a mistake. They believe that's a strategic, tactical mistake for them. Because once they get into that debate, even participating in that debate, they're accepting uh, that there could be a change from their beloved union uh, with the United Kingdom. So, So that's their position. So... I think in, in building a, a new Ireland, which is a concept that I believe in, um, you have to try and uh, reach out and bring in as many people of unionist tradition uh, as you possibly can. But the concept that you would be able to bring in uh, the entire lot will, will, will never happen. And I think Jim Allister, you know, whatever you say about him, he has a particular position. Uh, he's not going to win many seats in this election, but he has, he has 65,000 votes, and I know he obviously feel very proud of that and rightly so but um you know that 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 
group of, of unions. I mean, he, he doesn't accept, you heard him last night on television, he doesn't accept that, um, even though Sinn Féin have bought a million votes, that they should have the first minister's job. He, he doesn't believe that the DUP should go in with them under any circumstances. So that's his position. But I think they, the, where the debate will move to now, Anton, I think, and I think this is really the, the, the crucial point, um, the, the, the Irish government should now try to move at the intergovernmental conference level uh, under the Good Friday Agreement uh, to try to engage with the British government. Simon Coveney correctly last week, and I think he's been very good in this, he, he correctly said that the partnership and you know the, the spirit of cooperation that we've had with the British government uh, has, has lapsed a lot. And I think we, we, we need to work with them uh, to try and get them to work with the EU um, to, to try to solve the, the protocol issues. I mean, I think the, the, the problem now of getting the executive up and running, and I think we really need to concentrate on this as soon as the vote is over, has to be to find the solution to the protocol. But is the, is the protocol not on the way out by, with the death by a, thou- a thousand cuts? Is, is it not just a matter of time at this stage? I, I don't. The, the, the issue. The issue. The issue is this. I mean, it, it's it's not maybe complicated to state it, but maybe complicated to, to resolve it. Uh, Markovich uh, has said, "Listen, we have three areas that we have a problem with the protocol: the state aid rules, which I think is easy enough to understand. The second one is the regulatory checks. The third one, the customs. And what the EU or, or what the DUP and Jeffrey Donaldson has focused in on." Uh, is particularly if you have goods in the United Kingdom, in England, as England, Scotland, Wales, but in, in, let's say England, and that they come to Northern Ireland, that those goods at the moment are subject to checks. He says that can't be. Now, the reason for that, let's just look at the logic of it. The reason for that is that because those goods coming from England, which is not in the European Union, not in the single market, is coming into Northern Ireland, which is still in the single market, now, I think Northern Ireland, in my view, would be crazy to want to be out of the single market because that gives them an opportunity for investment, uh, for, for taking up FDI from outside of, of Europe, uh, taking in Canada and, and the United States. So uh, that's the problem. So he, 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 he says it very you know, quickly. Oh, how can you have goods coming from England to Northern Ireland subject to checks? The reason is, because it's in the single market and I think they want to stay in the single market. And of course so, that, was, that, that was reflected in, in the, the vote for the Brexit vote for Northern Ireland the democratic choice of the people of Northern Ireland was to remain within the single market and in fact to remain within the European Union. Can I move to a, 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 an issue beyond just Northern Ireland uh, Bertie which is the implications for politics south of the border. If you were back in your role as leader of Fianna Fáil and you were looking at Sinn Féin being the largest party north of the border, at the very real prospect of Mary Lou Macdonald Taoiseach meeting Michelle O'Neill, First Minister, and doing the handshake across the border and all of that, what would you be saying to the members of Fianna Fáil that they need to do? Because it doesn't look pretty from your former party's perspective. No, it, it it doesn't, and and their market share of the vote, um, over the years. I, I mean, I I I used to nearly lose sleep when we went under forty percent, um, and it's not that long ago, um, and and now people seem to celebrate when we go a bit over twenty, um. So it, it it's it's there's a big challenge. Uh, I think to answer your question, uh, organisationally wise across the forty constituencies. Fianna Fáil need to be reenacting 
uh, their ability uh, to to organise themselves, attract uh, candidates, uh, and have policies. Uh, and you know, we we always said. I mean, the late Seamus Brennan used to always say to me, uh, it, it 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 was about organisation, was about candidates, and was about policies. Uh, and we we tried to work that um, trick hard trick, and did it successfully many times. Uh, and I think that's the position. I think uh, as as it stands now. Uh, Sinn Féin are in a very strong organisational position right across the public republic. Um, they don't dominate everywhere, but they are on 30% of the vote in, in polls now for the last two years. So, you know, I mean, I, I think it's it's not inevitable that they're going to go to 35, it, but if, if, if it's left drift, um, they will. So I think there's a big job to be done and, you know, hopefully, hopefully Fianna Fáil will do that and, and take, take cognizance of what's happening. Bertie Hearn, thank you very much. That is former Taoiseach Bertie Hearn. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at 9 on News Talk.